My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste, to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the hardest assignments that I had to complete as a seminarian was when we were assigned in our second year of theology for our pastoral work. Every semester, they tried to vary it up a little bit and have us do different experiences of working in a parish or some other setting to have some real-life experience of priesthood. So my first year was great when I was sent to a parish with people who were becoming Catholic and helping them in their weekly meetings. I thought that was hard as I had to prepare and research in advance on whatever the topic was for that week, unsure of what questions they might come up with and not wanting to look ignorant, which was ridiculous. I ended up looking ignorant anyway, and not that the people couldn't have been more kinder or supportive throughout the whole process. But that paled in comparison to our, our second year assignment where we were sent to visit hospice patients. The first few weeks, it was just an orientation to explain what hospice care was, to meet some of the, the selfless staff and nurses and volunteers who are committed to this work on a regular basis. And if you're like me, just hearing the word hospice was frightening. Perhaps it was just acknowledging that this type of care that takes care of those who are, are dying somehow makes the reality of death really real and something that makes people uncomfortable. Well, after two or three weeks of just getting used to walking into the office building, we were told the following week we were going to go to patients that we were assigned to and we were expected to go visit every week. And that whole week before that first visit, I was growing more and more anxious about it. What was I, as a 23-year-old, second-year seminarian, going to do for this woman and her family? How would I deal with her crying about her impending death? What would I say to family members who might want to take their anger about the situation out on the person who's coming as a representative for God? Well, with each passing day, my stomach was getting more and more in a knot. I was making myself sick to the point that Monday night throughout the day, Tuesday before my one o'clock visit, I fasted. Not for spiritual purposes, but simply because I was so nervous 
I wanted to get this over with and I didn't want to throw up. As I pulled up to the house in Elizabeth, New Jersey, after racing through the rosary maybe three times in my 10-minute car ride and making the sign of the cross, I got out, knocked on the door, and this middle-aged man answered the door. When I introduced myself, he gently smiled and said, thank you for coming. I'm Rosa's son. She's going to be happy to meet you. Okay, first fear averted. Family anger is not happening. And as I entered into the house, there was just a, a bunch of people in the living room, and I was being quickly introduced to a relative, a neighbor, and then just very matter-of-factly, Rosa, who wasn't in the bathroom, wasn't connected to an IV, or even appeared sick. Before I even had a chance to walk through my rehearsed lines after carefully reviewing a helpful guide of what not to say, she just clasped my hand with both of her hands and very warmly welcomed me, just made a joke in Spanish about my age, telling her friends I was too young to be a priest. She let me pray with her and offer her communion, almost like when a grandmother lets their grandkids play doctor with them. And when I was done, she immediately returned to taking control of the conversation, asking about me, where I was from, how long I was studying to be a priest, my family, and so on. I walked out of there practically skipping. I was so relieved and happy that my worst fears weren't realized that I had almost forgotten she was dying. Probably because Rosa didn't see it that way. As I grow to realize week after week, she didn't want to talk about her diagnosis or what the doctors had told her, and not because she was in den denial about the reality of the situation, but all she did tell me about was how good her God was. All she did was brag on God. When she was in pain or had symptoms, she thanked God for the people who were around her, who were taking care of her, that she had this medicine. I had never met a woman like this. Never had been in a situation like this. So I was convinced the prayers were working. This woman's faith made me convinced we were going to experience a miracle. That she would defy the odds and would survive hospice. Rosa came to mind praying with today's gospel. This fourth Sunday of Advent, we heard the familiar beginnings of the Christmas story where the Blessed Virgin Mary, having encountered the angel Gabriel at the Annunciation, where she's told this amazing news that she had been chosen by God the Father to bear his son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, is also told that her much older cousin Elizabeth also has amazing news, that she too was pregnant, six months in fact, with an important baby as well, John the Baptist. We can get lost in our beloved details of the Christmas story to kind of see Elizabeth as just this minor character in the nativity pageant that's in our minds. But there's so much importance to Elizabeth's story that deserves the reverence and respect to, to kind of pause and reflect on. Here's this much older woman who's pregnant. To the world around them, this was somewhat preposterous news. Here, Elizabeth is married to Zechariah, who was a high priest. So in the Jewish faith and culture, they were respected. They lived comfortable lives, probably on 
many levels, they had everything they could have wanted except one thing, a child of their own. That had to have been an emotional roller coaster for this couple over the, the decades that they had been married. How many nights did Elizabeth go to bed with tears that she couldn't have a child? How many times did she see a baby in someone else's arms and wanting to be joyful for them, but feeling sadness interiorly? Did she hear the gossip of neighbors about her situation? Did the devil, through these vicious whispers of outsiders, cause her to think of herself as barren? Through years and years of navigating all those thoughts and feelings, she somehow remained a woman in prayer who trusted in her God and accepted his will and his providence in her life. Somehow she made peace with all these conflicting and painful realities and trust that God is good and that he will accomplish his plan for her, which results in this unexpected, impossible made possible, shocking news that the one who was called barren becomes pregnant with one of the most important figures who would prepare the way for Jesus. It was so mind-blowing and unprecedented that the one who should have been the most prepared of the two to accept this news, her husband, the priest, is revealed to be the weaker one of faith and greater in doubt. In fact, when the angel Gabriel encounters Zechariah to tell him all this, in the sanctuary as he's offering prayers and incense to God, of all places, mind you, he remains unbelieving. How can this be, he asks. He asks an angel, by the way, pointing out that he and Elizabeth, they're just too old. It's too late for them to have a child. You almost wonder if the pains of his heart after so many years had just left him lukewarm in his faith, where he simply came, did the prayers and devotions, checking them off on a list in his mind of responsibilities, but not imagining, maybe not even believing, that God saw, that God listened, that God cared about him. It's interesting because the angel Gabriel answers him, reminding him that God does see, he does listen, he does care. He can and will do the impossible. Zechariah basically tells the angel he doesn't believe it. And so Zechariah will be made mute. He's rendered speechless until the blessed event of John the Baptist's birth occurs, lest he speak words of doubt and desolation over the sacred event, lest Zechariah diminish the joy that had already captured Elizabeth's heart. A joy and excitement that Elizabeth almost forgets today as the Blessed Virgin Mary enters her home in this gospel with the baby Jesus within her womb, still early in her pregnancy. We see and hear recorded in this exchange the first veneration of Mary as the mother of God. So lest any non-Catholic try to question you on the appropriateness of our doing the same, it's right there, Luke chapter 1. Just mark it down. We hear the second half of the Hail Mary prayer, the first being said by the angel, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
all of a sudden, Elizabeth's news isn't the most miraculous or spectacular or historic news. God himself is coming among us in the simple, meek, and humble, and most accessible of ways. An infant to be born to a poor, humble, prayerful couple of Mary and Joseph. It's not that Elizabeth and Zechariah's news wasn't still important, but rather it was a preparation for something even greater from God beyond this family, beyond this village, beyond that one day and age. You have to imagine for Elizabeth and Zechariah to go from an elderly couple who were childless to smack dab in the middle of the story of salvation coming to fulfillment. It's an abundance of goodness they could never have imagined. The prayers, the longings, the waitings they had experienced in their lives was only a shadow of what the people of God had been experiencing for centuries. The prophet Micah, who we heard in that first reading, came 700 years before Christ when God told him to proclaim these prophecies that she who was to come would give birth to the Messiah. 700 years, that's almost three times the entire history of our country. This people waited on God to answer their prayers and fulfill his promises. And for sure, in a variety of ways, some abandoned their faith and belief. Some might have been like Zechariah who believed, but maybe half-heartedly because their heartaches undermined their belief and questioned them perhaps a lot. Some like Elizabeth and Mary believed. They just had faith. They just trusted that even though they didn't see a way, and they didn't quite understand all the particulars, that wasn't important. There was just a, a purity of mind and heart that trusted in him, that made them ready to accept his will and to be part of his plan to transform the world. That was something that I got to see and experience in Rosa, this hospice patient that I visited while in seminary. For the entire semester, I visited her every Tuesday, thinking my prayers and visit were somehow extending her life and healing her, which is why when she died a day and a half later after my eighth visit in late November, I was shocked. I was sad and I had anxiety and frustrations, just like I did before my first visit, especially as I prepared to go to her funeral. Imagine that the family would be as devastated as I was. Which is why when I entered that church and saw them prayerfully thanking God for the gift of her life, for the blessing of her being able to be home while she was sick, for their being able to be with her, and now for her being safe at home in God's arms, I was blown away. I saw the meaning of Elizabeth's words to Mary being realized in real time. Blessed are you who believe that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. Rosa just wanted God here on this earth and for all eternity. Were there nights where maybe she cried or was confused or prayers for healing? I'm sure that there were. Those are just normal human reactions that anyone could experience. But as her son told me, she always came back to her faith and trust that God loved her and that he's got her. 
That faith is how she would navigate those feelings to get to a place where she would receive this terminal diagnosis but be more at peace than a 23-year-old seminarian. Because Rosa wasn't praying for a miracle. I was. It demonstrated my own weak faith. I recognize I'm probably closer to being like Zechariah than Elizabeth. I like to think that if the angel Gabriel spoke to me during a holy hour, that I'd at least keep my mouth shut rather than having him do that for me. But I digress. But the beauty of these examples that these, these women of faith leave us is not to embarrass us if we're not where they are, or in my case, still not where they are in our lives of faith. The beauty of their examples and the beauty of this Advent season is meant for us to open our hearts to letting Jesus enter in, to get our hopes up. Advent has been repeating over and over, come Lord Jesus. He comes at the end of time, whether our personal ends or the end of history, whichever comes first. He comes that first Christmas, now over two millennia ago, which we will celebrate in just a few days. But more importantly, he comes to us here and now. He comes to us in this, his word, and in the Eucharist, where his body and blood, his very flesh, we will receive from this altar. We need to brag on our God, like Rosa and like Elizabeth did. The audacity that the God of the universe allows himself to be grabbed by our mortal hands in Eden. If we were allowed that mystery to truly take hold, we probably would find peace that we're longing for. We probably could wait patiently for the answers to those deepest prayers being answered in the most mind-blowing of ways possible. And we could probably experience the true meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us.